book of Joshua. Now we're this is our 15th message in the book of Joshua. Exciting. If you've not been with us, we're going to do a little bit of review to help you kind of get caught up. But what's been so awesome, this study of the book of Joshua, we were in Exodus and we moved to Joshua. This is called A Life Lived for God. And that really exemplifies Joshua, A Life Lived for God. And what we had last week, our message was actually called Wonders Among Us. Okay? Wonders Among Us. And that message, Wonders Among Us, that was Joshua chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And in that message, what we saw was the fact that they had gotten this amazing news about the fact that God was going to provide for them, that God was going to make the way as they would go into the promised land. And what we saw was that was instructions to the people as well as, uh, or the people as a whole from their leader, which was Joshua. And then what we're going to see this week is we're going to transition to where the message is going to be more towards more towards the priests. But in that message last week, we saw several different components. The first thing we noticed was their uh, was their reverence. Okay, We saw here that the ark, they're supposed to follow the ark. In that message, the, the, the phrase God gave them was, go after it. Go after it. Go after it. So when you see the when you see the ark, you're going to go after it. But what we notice is the fact that they would keep their distance away from it. They had this reverence, this fear, right? Because the ark is a representation of the Lord. And this reverence that they had. Now, there was these men called the Kohathites. These were the sons of Kohath. They were Levites. And their job was to carry that ark. And what we saw was these men, they had a reverence for the ark as well. They were actually a little bit fearful of it. Which led us to the second point that we matched last week was the distance. The distance they stayed away from it. It said they were supposed to stay 2,000 cubits. That's about 3,000 feet over half a mile away from it. Now, the whole reasoning behind that was to keep them safe. Because understand, in the Old Testament, these people, their salvation, their redemption was through faith and works because they were under the law. So what we see is they're supposed to stay away from the ark to keep them safe. But you and I in the church age... We're saved through faith in Christ. We are redeemed. So as redeemed people, as opposed to staying away from God, we stay close to God. And what we saw, we actually compared the ark kind of like a GPS. And we saw it as this directional arrow. Like when you look on your GPS system, as long as you follow the arrow, you should end up where you're supposed to go. And that was the second thing. The third thing we looked at was with their knowledge. What it said was, as long as you'll follow the ark, as long as you'll follow your GPS, it'll get you where you're supposed to go. We said the GPS was God's positioning system, which is pretty awesome. Never messes up. Always gets you where you're supposed to go. And what's cool for them, it was the ark. But for us, it's the word of God. We follow the Word of God, and if you follow the Word of God in the directional error that it gives you, you'll never go wrong. Then there was the sanctification. This is their separation. They're going to separate themselves away from the world. They're going to be sanctified unto God, displaying their commitment to the Lord. And what we saw was, and we compared that to the marriage, a husband and wife. And what happens in that marriage and wife is there's a commitment between the two. They're committed, and what happens is the husband and the wife display their love for their spouse based upon their faithful commitment to that other person. And what we see is with our walk with God, it's our faithful commitment to Him that displays our love for the Lord. Are we faithful to Him? It's that sanctification, which then brought us to the wonders. If they would do those other things, then they would experience the wonders among them. And this was talking about the fact that God wants to do miraculous things. God was doing amazing and incredible things back there, but they had to be obedient in those other areas in order to see the miracles. And the thing is, it's the same God today. The same God that was on the throne then is the same God that's on the throne today. And what we know is the fact that God still wants to do miracles among us. God wants to do miraculous things. And as we talked about last week, there are a lot of us sitting here, and we would, we would list ourselves as miraculous wonders of God. What He did with where, who we were and who we are today, a miraculous work. The problem is disobedience. See, God wants to do great things in our lives, but the thing that hinders those things happening is the disobedience that we have in our lives. It's the sin 
that we have in us. So the aspect here, what we see is the disobedience issue for the, for the Israelites right now is not really going to be an issue. They are unified, focused, and prepared to experience the wonders of God. So here's Joshua, who is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he is rallying them together. They're getting ready to get underway. They've literally reached right at the brink of the Jordan River. They're getting the cross, literally, the, the, the Jordan's about 150 feet across. And on the other side of that is the promised land, where they've been trying to get for all this time. And our message this morning is, t is titled, I Will Be With Thee. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, God, for giving us this time where we can gather, uh, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, you know that I have prayed, I have studied, I have read, I have reviewed. And, uh, Lord, but this message need not come from me. I, I don't want to hear from me. I know they don't want to hear from me. We want to hear from you, Lord. I pray that you will direct this message. God, help the human element to be removed, Father, that you might take over. Lord, that you might display your truth uh, to us through your word. Thank you for this time. I pray that you will show off. And Lord, help us, Lord, to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it was me in Joshua chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day... Will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. So we see here in verse 6 that this is actually, the, so we've seen the preparation and the sanctification of the people. And now we're going to see the priests. And as we look at the priests, the first thing we're going to look at is their motivation. The motivation of the priests. And we're going to break it up into two different components of their motivation. The first thing we see is in verse 6, it says this, And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. Okay? So the, man, the first manifestation of their motivation is an external motivator. Their external motivator, it's Joshua, right? He's telling them what to do. He's motivating them to take action, and he's confidently saying, Look, these are your instructions. Now, the sons of Kohath, the Kohathites, these are the guys that are going to carry this thing. They're going to load the ark up. Now, they're supposed to take it by the staves. These are the poles that were crafted and made and gilded with gold that they're going to lift it up by. Now, they're going to carry it that way because if it was not carried that way and they were to touch it with their hands, they would die. Okay, It's not to be touched by human hands. In Numbers 4, verses 15, verse 415, it says this, and when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary, okay, they're going to take all the components of the tabernacle and they're going to wrap them up. Now, we know last week we studied and we saw how literally they were going to do this and how they wrapped up the ark in particular. And all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to be set forward. So as they're getting ready to break camp, after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. But they shall not touch it, any holy thing, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation. And we saw last week as we referenced that ark, the ark is a picture of the Lord. And we saw that it was going to be wrapped in three different layers. Okay, three different layers. If you want to know those layers, go back and watch next week because I don't have time to cover them. So, the first covering. I'm going to tell you what it was, but if you want to see where it comes from, it's in last week's message. But the first one is the veil. Okay, the veil of separation. That ark, Whenever you go into the tabernacle and you're going to go to the Holy of Holies, there was this veil that hung there. That was the separation between God and and man. It was the thing that was supposed to protect the people from the ark. Okay? And what's so cool is it's the very same thing here. When they take that covering down, they're going to walk it over the ark and they'll wrap it up so that they don't ever have to see it. Okay? They wrap around it. Then after that, and so it's cool. So it was literally designed to protect them when it was built as the tabernacle. And it's literally in transit doing the same thing. Then there was a wrap of badger skins. Badger skins. Now remember the tabernacle had all those different layers. The outer layer, the dirtiest layer, the one that represented the flesh, 
was badger skin. So here it is, a representation of flesh wrapped around the ark. Then they wrapped it in this last one, which is blue fabric. And we know from our study of the blue, blue is a representation of the healing power of God. So if we take those elements and you think about this, here we have a picture of God in the ark, veiled in flesh, displaying the healing power of God to all that will look upon it. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Even in little things, God's in it. So, we understand here that when this, this thing had to be covered because it was extremely significant. It is literally the most holy thing that has ever been created on the earth. Of all furnishings or creation of anything by human hands, this is the most holy thing. Okay, So, it has incredible reference. This is not only the fact that it contains the Ten Commandments, which the Bible says are written with the finger of God... So that's inside of it. And then on the top of this thing, the mercy seat where the two, the two angels or the two cherubim sit and the wings face in, there's a place right here in the middle. And that's the mercy seat. That's where when God comes down to earth, that's the place he shows up. So this thing is reverent. It is holy beyond holy. Let's put it that way. And as I was doing my study, I do a lot of comparison stuff, and I look at other translations and other Bibles. And I want you to hear the reverential way the contemporary English version tells and says this verse in Joshua 3.6. Then Joshua turned to the priest and said, Take the chest and cross the Jordan River ahead of us. So the priest picked up the chest by its poles and went on ahead. The chest. Just like a toy chest or whatever you want it to be. It's not talked about the fact that, listen, in our King James, it says this, And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, the promise of God, the, the promise made to Abraham that shall go through time, and then the next word, and pass over. Again, that's the third time that's shown up in just this little bit, the last three messages. Pass over, pass over, pass over. What's God doing? He's projecting, guess what? The salvation of the world through His Son, the Passover Lamb. Check any other version. The word Passover is not in this verse. Before the people, and they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So there are people right now that are carrying that thing and calling that a Holy Bible. It will say Holy Bible on the outside of that contemporary Bible. And it is heretical. It is irreverent to God. And we realize the fact that, look, the words are important. I know I harp on that all the time, but the words are important. All right, I'm off my soapbox. All right, so Joshua motivates them to and directs them to go forward, okay? This, this thing is extremely dangerous, okay? The ark is awesome. It's beautiful. It's incredible. But you're not going to look at it. And you're not even going to touch it. That's why the staves are there. Don't touch it with your hands. Because if you touch it with your hands, it'll kill you. Just like that. Now, we know because we, we, they were told that, but we see an actual instance where that happens. When we go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, okay, there's this guy named Uzzah. Uzzah is just a good old boy, right? He's walking along, we'll just call him Uz, right? So Uz is walking along, you know, and they're, they're carrying the ark. The problem is they're not carrying the ark. They loaded it on a cart, which is never the way it's to be carried because God's instructions were it'll always be carried by Levites and it will always be carried by the staves, by the poles. But... People lost sight of the, of the rules. They decided to do it their own way. They loaded it onto a cart. And Uzzah's walking along beside of this thing. And suddenly, what happens? It hits a bump. And the ark starts to shift. And he goes, whoa! Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him and there, for his error, and there he died by the ark. Boom! As soon as he touched it, he's dead. 
Okay? So understand, these coophytes, they're not just like irreverently walking up. Yeah, you want to get a corner, I get a corner. Let's just roll, man. Come on, let's go. No, they're not just snatching up the ark and going on. They're waiting to be carefully directed. Now, this is the important thing. They're listening to someone that they trust. Now, if they'll follow the advice, this is for their safety, but also for God's glory. And what happens is you don't see them having to muster up their courage or taking a vote amongst them if they should move it. It just simply says that they, they take it up. Now, what happens with you and I? As God directs us, we should not have to muscle up our courage to do what He calls us to do. We should not be taking a consensus amongst our family. You know, I know I should be doing this, but what do you think? Do you think I should do it? As God calls us, we take, we take steps and we go forward. They trust their leader, Joshua. They do something that's dangerous, that they know is something that potentially could end their lives, and they do it without question. They simply trust their leader. And the question is this, do we trust our leader? Do we trust the Word of God to do what God calls us to do? John 1, 1 John 2, 3 says this, And hereby do we know, we do know, that we know Him if we keep His commandments. If we keep His commandments. Guys, if we have faith in the Lord, we shouldn't have to muster up confidence. We shouldn't have to get a consensus. We should be able to trust in what He tells us to do. Amen. Because understand, God has a purpose and a plan. And one day when we will stand before Him as He's calling all of us to do something. I don't know what He's calling you to do, but He's calling you to do something. As He's calling us, one day we will stand before Him. And I'm just telling you, I, speaking for myself, I know I will stand. I know when I stand before Him on that day, He's going to show me a lot more instances of my disobedience. That of my obedience. I wish that wasn't true, but it is. Because I know me, and I know my life. And I'm afraid for a lot of us that's going to be the case. But just because we failed him in the past doesn't mean we continue to fail him. Right? We make a choice. We can't change the past, but we can change the future. Right? What did Paul say? This one thing I do. He says, like, I can't change all my mistakes. I hate them. I cry over them. It burdens me. But I can't change them. And since I can't change them, all I can do is say, you know what? This one thing I do, I'll press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. From his day forward, I'm going to do my best to honor him. And we know that Paul struggled with his flesh and ate all kinds of issues just like we do. And listen, you know what? We hold, we hold him up as an example. But guess what? He struggled like us. Obedience is what God's acting us, asking us. And the whole point is this. Do we have faith in the one that's directing us? Right? As God calls us. But see, the greater our faith, the greater our obedience. The more we trust, the less we doubt. Right? If, my, if, if, you, if, you, if your mom says, hey, let's, you know what? Let's go walk across this rope bridge. And you've never been across it before. Mm. Oh, I don't know, mom. That looks... <laughs> I'm not sure. Come on, babe, let's go. No, I'm not going. I'm not going. Right, let me watch. Let me just watch. And she walks across the rope bridge. She gets out in the middle. She jumps up and down. She has a pet elephant on the other side of the hill. Jumbo, come here. Jumbo comes out. He gets out there. Shakes it up. Boom, boom, boom. It's hard as a rock. Jumbo walks away. Baby, you ready to go? Let's go. Right? She trusts. That child trusts that mother saying, you know what? She's telling the truth. That thing's proven. It's safe. God has proven himself time and time and time and time and time again. Will we simply trust him? And see, this is where it shifts because there's that external motivation. But then it shifts to the internal. Because we notice that these, these guys, they respond. 
They actually do what God is calling them to do. And we see it. Now, recognize the fact that they have already, the, the people have given their vow to Joshua. Back in Joshua 1, if you remember back in our beginning messages, they made a vow to Joshua saying, hey, we're in, dude. We're going to follow you. Whatever happens. Here's the verse in verse 116. I don't think they called him dude, but something like that. Uh, Joshua 1, 16 through 18, it says this, And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us to do, commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever, whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Whosoever he that doth rebel against thy commandment and will not hearken unto thy words, in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. We're behind you, Joshua. We're all in. So they make this vow of loyalty. Now it's one thing to make a vow, and it's another thing to follow through with it. Okay? How many of us have ever made a commitment that we were really serious about when we made it, only to not follow through with it? Right? Going to the gym. Man, I've had this gym membership for like three years, dude. Alright, Monday, that's my day. I'm going. And from there on out, for this year, I am going to crush it every day of the week. I'm going to go to the gym. Hey, you may start off on Monday and show up and work out, man. Hot diggity dog. Tuesday, you may go back and you're like a little sore. Thursday, you're like, you know what? I need to take a couple days off. And that's the last day you showed up at the gym. <laughs> right? Or I'm going to eat right. Man, I know I didn't cut these, these Reese Cups out of my life. I need to cut them out. I need to cut them out. Somebody just gave me a bag of Reese Cups. What am I supposed to do? Let them go bad? That seems like bad stewardship. I should eat these Reese Cups. Right? That's what we think. We think you know, I'm going to get my house organized. Right? Man, this house has been a wreck for so long. I'm going to finally get this place straightened out. This is my time. And what happens? Now, that's an internal thing, right? But what we'll do is we'll actually even get external motivators. I'm going to get a trainer. Because I know I'm not going to show up at the gym on time, but if he's waiting on me at 8 o'clock in the morning, that'll help me get there. I'm going to get there and let him tell me what to do. And you know what? I'm not so good with the eating, but I'm going to get a dietitian. They're going to tell me how to eat. I'm not good with my house, but I, they, they have professional organizers. And they'll come in and actually show you how to get your house all straightened out. This is awesome. But see, it's not until that determination in us will it actually happen. Because external motivators are wonderful, but they have to switch from external to internal. It has to be applied. Verse 6 says this, And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. No matter what fear they had, no matter what doubts they may have, whatever they were struggling with, they simply decided they were going to be obedient and they were going to follow the commands that were given to them. They determined within themselves, we are going to do what Joshua tells us. Their Joshua. Now, our Joshua is Jesus. Joshua translates Jesus. What we're simply looking at here is the fact that as this is describing, you, you and I should be doing. You and I should be having this mindset of, look, you know what? Whatever God's called me to do, I'm going to decide inside of me that I am going to do it. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Do I know what God expects of me? Yes. Has He told me time and time and time again in the Word of God? Yes. He's directed me. He says, look, you should be led and directed by your spirit, not by your flesh. That's a pretty simple concept. Walk by faith and not by sight. So we know what to do. We know how to do it. So why do so many of us remain inactive when it comes to doing what God calls us to do? Well, it's because the external motivators, the Word of God, the plea of a pastor, 
The burden we should have for the world around us and what we see going on. The burden of, of, of seeing what our brothers and sisters, the impact of people around you. These external motivators, well, they don't, they don't get inside. We don't let them change us in our hearts. Jeremiah. There's a situation where Jeremiah, his world is basically falling apart. The Israelites are in captivity. Their world is, is just, it's just a wreck, and his people are in dire, dire straits. And as Jeremiah looks out upon the people, his heart is broken. He's been accepting a lot of things, and he's not now. Listen to this, Lamentations 3.51. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. Why? Because of all the daughters of my city. I look at the suffering of the people, and you know what? I was worried about me, but you know what? I see them, and it breaks my heart. My experience is, is touching me deeply. And what we find is a changed heart. What does it do? It changes our perspective. And a changed heart with a changed perspective is a changed life. We don't stay the same. We allow the Lord to impact us. And the overwhelming despair that, Josh, that Jeremiah is going through. What's so cool about it is through the suffering, God increases his faith in him and his dependence upon him. How many of us have ever found ourselves in a place in life when you're in despair or you're broken, and in those times you become more dependent upon God. Because you know what? There's nothing I can do. I need someone to help me. And He's there for us. Amen. So we see this aspect of the fact that the Lord really does. He reaches out and He touches us combining. He wants to use the Word of God and the experiences of our life, things that we go through to help us to be shaped. See, God's always trying to fashion us out of looking like us. The Bible says, into the image of Christ. I always like to envision it like a block of stone. You may remember studying like the, the, the statue of David, right? It was a gigantic block of marble. And Michelangelo, or one of those guys, or Donatello, or whichever one of the Ninja Turtles did it, I don't remember. But they take a chisel, right? And they start, they start probably did it with nunchucks. Um, but they take that giant block of stone. And he, what he said was, I could see the statue, I could see David inside. I just had to get the rock out of the way to let him free. And when God looks at us, that's what it is. Amen. He's like, I see all this flesh, but I see me in there. Amen. You're my child and you've got me inside you. We just need to knock off all this stuff that doesn't look like me. And see, there's things, situations, situations in our life that come along and man, they're chisels. They knock off chunks. I mean, there's sometimes, man, you'll go through a tragedy in your life and you go, why on earth would this need to happen? And you know what? This chunk of you just gets blasted off and it hurts. But we grow. And there's other things. There's people in your life that are just irritating. Who has someone you've ever met in your life that just grated your nerves? Oh my goodness, right? They're like sandpaper. <laughs> They're just shaving off little bits at a time. And as you learn to endure that person, long-suffering, guess what? You become a little bit more like Christ. So the whole thing is God's trying to shape us into this image of Him. But if we don't allow it to happen, guess what? We stay the same. You just stay a block. A block. And I've warned you guys about this. It's like coming to church. right? We come and man, God convicts us. Oh, buddy. Man, that message really hit me hard. I was under conviction. I made a determination in my heart that this is going to change. And here we are in church, man, and we're, we're emotionally impacted. We're, we're, we're gripped. And the message ends. We walk out the door. We get in the car. And with every mile we drive, it reduces. 
And every moment slips further and further away. And the very thing that had us crying in church barely ruffles our feathers as we merge ourselves back into the world and look like everybody else. This happens all the time. Ezekiel, God speaks to Ezekiel about people like us. Listen to this. Ezekiel 12, 2. Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house. That's us. Which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not. For they are a rebellious house. Listen to that. They have ears to hear and they hear not. They have eyes to see and they see not. They choose to be blind. They have an opportunity. They've been given the truth and yet they do not allow it to work in their lives. Guys, if we have ears to hear, God can use us. He can change our lives. He can use us in ways that we cannot even possibly imagine. The people here, they have ears to hear Joshua. And what's so cool about it, what we see in the next part of our message, is the fact that now God's going to change the way they even see Him. So they're going to listen to Him. They're going to follow Him. But now they even see Him differently. So we saw the priest's motivation, but now we see Joshua's exaltation. His exaltation. Listen to this in verse 7. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Man, Joshua, things are getting ready to change. They're going to see you differently. Back in 1, verses 16 through 18, we saw their commitment. Now it's going to translate into deeds where they're actually going to see Him. They're going to see this man of God that they're going to trust and they're going to follow. And God's saying, hey, look, it's all getting lined up here. We're getting ready to go in the promised land. And guess what? You're going to be my representative. You're going to be a picture of me. And here we go. What happens what's so cool with Joshua is when you study his life. Right? I mean, the name of this series is A Life Lived for God. Most every person you find in the Bible who's a biblical character has lots and lots of flaws that come out. They're failures. We look at David, man, a man after God's own heart, an adulteress, a murderer. We look at all these people, Abraham, Father Abraham, man, lack of faith. But Joshua, study Joshua. You know what you find about him? Faithful. He did not waver. He looked at Moses and he saw what Moses did, man, and he learned. Listen to this in Judges 2, verses 7 through 8. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, his entire life. He up the people. He set an example they could follow. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. It even lasted after him. Who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Now, when we did our messages earlier, we were talking about how old Joshua was. We calculated he was probably in his early to mid-60s. That means that Joshua gets upwards of 50 years in the promised land. 50 years where he gets to live an example. And what's so cool about this is that Joshua is being exalted by God, but it doesn't go to his head. It doesn't feed his pride. It doesn't draw him into sin. It doesn't draw him into disobedience. Why is that? Well, see, God tells us the prerequisites for those that He'll exalt. Jesus told us, told us Himself in Matthew 23, 12. Now, what's happening in this instance in 20, Matthew 23, 12, Jesus is confronting a bunch of Pharisees that are filled with pride. They're over the top. In fact, He rips into them seven different times and screams at them, calling them hypocrites, right? This is what He says in Matthew 23, 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself, like you guys, not you guys, but I'm pointing to the Pharisees, sorry, that was not a y'all, <laughs> shall be abased, right, brought down. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So what does that tell us about Joshua's character? That he was humble. That he was a man 
who had a desire to know God, to walk with the Lord, man. And it's amazing. So it happens. And understand, the issue with pride, pride's very dangerous for all of us. But it's unusually dangerous for people like me. Right? Because what happens is people will tell you, God's really used you in my life. You know, wow, this was great, or I really appreciate you, and you get all these things. And there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But what I'm telling you is, as you lead people, what happens is, and why so many men fall, is because they start to believe their own press. And what we find about Joshua is he never did. He always saw himself for who he was. Just a kid who had no right to be where he was, being trusted by the Lord to do things that were unbelievable. And I'm telling you what now, as long as we can keep that mindset, if God calls you to do something great, just remember it's not you. It's not us. We have no wisdom. God gives us a wisdom. God calls us to do what He does and He empowers us to do it. He's the one that gets the results. He's the one that gets, deserves to get the accolades. That's why it says, you know, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, not you. Why do every week I ask for God to make me disappear? Because I don't want this to be about, about me. But it's fertile ground for pride to grow when people tell us good things. And I want you to remember we talked about Paul earlier. The thing, interesting thing about Paul. Paul, yes, he had a past that was awful that he felt terrible about. But Paul was also a man who struggled with his pride. He had a tendency to get puffed up. And what's interesting here in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 6 through 10, this is how God helps him through it. For though I would desire to glory... Listen, though I would desire to glory, though I would in my flesh, I like to get accolades, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. For, says, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. I don't want anybody to think that I'm more than I am. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. What he's saying is, look, God's using me to write a bunch of the word of God. God's really working in my life. God's really doing some amazing stuff. People are reading my words. This is gospel. I'm telling the truth. I'm representing the Lord. And you know what? People want to come tell me how great it is. But listen, hey, this is dangerous. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He says, to keep my pride from growing, now I have this malady that's come upon me. There's this thing in my flesh. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that, I might, that it might depart from me. Three times I said, God, would you take it away? God, would you take it away? God, I'm trying to do your work. Would you please just take it away from me? Three times I asked. This is God's response. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, he's saying, you know what, Paul? I'll do great things with through you as long as you're weak. It's when you get swelled up with yourself that I can no longer use you. Right? This is his and this is Paul's, this is what Paul asks. After Paul hears that, he says, Most gladly, therefore, because of what I just learned from God, will I rather glory in my infirmities. I will celebrate this malady, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What he's saying there, he's saying, you know what? So that my pride does not grow, I realize the fact that I need this malady. I need this thing to keep me humble so God can really use my life. If it weren't for the malady, I would be a problem. But now this thing is going to keep me humble. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. 
He's going, look, I have an issue with my flesh. My pride is going to be a problem for me, but God has blessed me by giving me this malady that keeps me humble and dependent upon Him. And because I'm humble and dependent upon Him, God's doing incredible stuff through my life. Pride is what brought it upon Him. Guess what? There are you and I right now. How's our pride? How's our pride? Is it so great that God's going to have to bring a malady into our life or a tragedy into our life to humble us? Is that how God works? Yep. yep. Who's ever had their pride kicked, been kicked in the gut, man, dropped to your knees? Yeah. And it's one of the greatest things that ever happens to us. We don't want it, but man, it's the greatest thing God can do. So we can either allow God to have to bring a malady in our life because we're so prideful, or we just say, hey, you know what? Help me. Help me see God more clearly. And so if I could see God more clearly, what it would do, it would, it would humble me. I can tell you definitively. That if you don't have a clear view of God, a humbling view of God, that you are not in His Word. Because when you get a clear view of God from His Word, it humbles you. God bless you. It humbles you. It humbles us. We see God's reverence. We see God's holiness. And we compare to where we are. And wow, it brings us to our knees. Matthew 23, 12. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Jesus, our Joshua. Guess what? He lived an example of that. He lived an example. Listen to this description. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Okay? Live your life like I did. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Live this life the way that I did, meek and lowly in heart, and guess what? You will find peace. You will find, you will find, you will find all that you need in this life. I've shown you what to do. Not wasting our time trying to make a name for ourselves so that everybody knows who we are. What if we spent all of our time not trying to make a name for ourselves, but trying to uplift His name so no one knows who we are, but they know who Jesus is through our life? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's what will fulfill us. And what happens, so many of us spend so much time and energy doing the wrong things. Joshua did not require for God to bring anything into his life to humble him. He was a perfect picture of fellowship with God. And because of that, verse 7, it said this, As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Joshua, don't worry, man. I'm there, brother. We're going to be in this thing together. And how was God with Moses? Remember, Exodus 33, 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. Listen to this part. This is cool. But his servant Joshua... He was there too. The son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. He lingered. You know why he lingered? Because he saw that moment of intimacy with God and Moses. Like this. And I think in his heart of hearts, man, that's what he wanted. Could I one day have a relationship like that for me? Could God see me the way he sees Moses? Could God ever communicate with me the way he does with Moses? Could that ever be the case? I want to be used of the Lord. I just don't know if I can be. Am I worthy? Can I do it? As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I would have been like music to his ears, man. He's going to take on this insurmountable task of moving into the promised land, doing something that's impossible. I will be with thee, Joshua. Don't be afraid. And what's interesting is Joshua was there watching how God dealt with Moses. 
And we saw that Moses failed. Moses was supposed to go to the rock and speak to the rock. And in his anger, he struck the rock. And because of that, he didn't go into the promised land. He died in the wilderness. And what happens with that? Joshua learned. He watched from Moses' mistake and he said, you know what? I will not do the same thing. I'm going to learn from this. And this is going to humble me because I'm going to always remind myself of the accountability I have to God. And can I just tell you, friend, if you will keep your accountability to God in the forefront of your heart and mind, it will help you. It will humble you. And it'll, do, it'll call you to action. Because you realize, hey, one day, one day I will stand before Him. It'll keep us humble, which is who we need to be, because God will lift up those who humble themselves. And here the Israelites are. Here's Joshua. Here the Israelites. They're at the brink of the Jordan. So we first of all seen their motivation. Now we've seen Joshua's exaltation. And now we see God's expectations. God's expectations. As he continues speaking to Joshua in verse number 8. And thou shalt command the priests that, thou bear, that they bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of the Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And when we can see here, the expectation is for both Joshua and for the priests. This is for both of them. They have to both do their part. Okay, They've got to fulfill what God's asking them. Now I want to apply that to the church for just a moment. right? So what happens here, it's not just the pastor's job to reach our community. We're all, I'm, I'm supposed to minister to the community, no doubt about it. But guess what? So are you. We're all supposed to minister to our community. It's not just our friend who's just really talkative and he loves to chat and can talk to anybody. That's not just his job. It's not just our friend who has ministry experience. No. It's a responsibility that God's given all of us. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's saying, Look, I have the authority to commission you. Verse 19, Go ye, that's us, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. We're going to do that today, praise the Lord. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, notice what he says here, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So Jesus is reinforcing here a principle that he's got, hey, I've got expectations of my followers. But what he's also doing is he's saying, what are the expectations of his followers for him? What can they expect of him? I will be with thee. I am with you always. That's exactly what he told Joshua just now. We just saw it. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. So God's will is going to be accomplished if it's to be done. It won't be just because the pastor or because Joshua does his job. It won't just be because the priests do their job, because we do our job. But it's because it's the whole thing. It's God has taught us that we must work together. Not just us, but with him. He's the third element. God talked about the fact that you and I were priests. He taught us in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It says, but, but ye, us, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praise of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in times past were not a people. You didn't used to be my people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but guess what now? But now have obtained mercy. You are my Children, be priests for me. So Joshua and the priests, in concert with God, will do great things. They work together with the power of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we see two, but then suddenly there's a third that comes in. And that third, that is God. So what happens, it's just it's like my wife and I, right? I, my wife and I, we're the two. We stand together. We've always said this. It's you and me against the world. 
It's you and me against our kids. It's you and me against our finances. It's you and me against everybody. <laughs> We're united. That's bad for Mother's Day. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. But, the, but that's it. Right? We're always united. And if it was just she and I, and we were not saved, we're in danger of destruction. But guess what happens when you take that third chord, the God? Amen. That threefold chord. Now, man, now we can stand against anything. That's what he's teaching. So it takes faithful leaders, it takes faithful followers, and it takes a faithful God to accomplish God's perfect will. Doing what he asks us. We do it without excuse. We just simply follow through. Walking by faith and confidence in Him, not in ourselves. I love my wife, but listen, man, us together, we're not going to overcome the things of this world. But with God, we have nothing to fear. Anne-Marie asked me before the message, when she was here earlier, and she said, do you get scared before you preach? I was like, I feel like I throw up every week. Absolutely. <laughs> Certainly. I said, I feel completely inadequate. I have no right to be here. I'm not the person for this job in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, God is with me. Yes. My confidence is not in me. It's in Him. Amen. He's the one that does this. God, no doubt, has a plan, a battle plan for victory. God will do His part. The whole question is, will we do our part? Right? Will we be armed and ready to speak of His love when we leave this place? Will we be prepared to go out and share of His faithfulness in our life through a testimony of what God's done? Will you be prepared to share the gospel with someone because we're willing to open our mouth and tell them the good news or hand them a track? See, that's our part. God's instructed them, given them, told them exactly what to do. He's given them a plan of action. And what's really awesome at the very end, I'm almost done. At the end of verse 8, he has that little detail he throws in there. Ye shall stand still in Jordan. Ye shall stand still. Stand still. And do you remember in the book of Moses, or the book of Moses, the book of Exodus, book of Moses, that's a new one, I'll teach you that one later. Um, but in the book of Exodus, right, back in Exodus 14, God leads them to pi high high earth. They're in this place, a point of no return. They're standing at the board, the brink of the Red Sea, just like they're standing at the brink of the Jordan. And they're looking out over the water, and the Egyptian army's roaring up behind them, and they're about to die. They're, there's no way out. And God's about to do the impossible. And what does Moses say? Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you. Moses, now understand, because of our flesh, and who we are in our flesh, we think, man, here's my moment. I'm going to got my stick. Everybody looking? Here we go. Oh, and watch the water part. Did you see what God did through me? No, what does He say? He will show to you. God is going to do it, not me. I'm only here. Don't even look at me. Just look at what God does. Humble spirit. He says, For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And once again, we see the instructions right before the impossible is done. Stand still. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you are waiting with anticipation and expectation for God to do the impossible. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I applaud your faith, man. That's awesome. But can I ask you, are you allowing the external motivations in your life, the Word of God, to impact you? Are you allowing the church to impact you? Are you allowing the people of God to impact you? Are you allowing those things that you hear on the outside to get inside and go from something you know you should do to be something you say you're doing?
right? Are you humble before the Lord so that He can lift you up and use your life? Or are you so focused on you that you've lost sight of what God is calling you to do? You can't even hear Him. See, if the answer is no, why? Why? God's told us what to do. Is it because we allow our fears to keep us silent? Or our sadness to make us immobile? Maybe because we fail God and we feel like we're unworthy. Well, join the club. <laughs> or maybe you just feel like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But the cool thing is, man, do you remember how God talks about himself? He called himself the good shepherd. Amen. The good shepherd. And the shepherd loves his sheep. And he will go, no matter where they are. He will come to where they are. No matter how dark it may be, no matter how much despair we might be in. Because guess what? His promise is always the same. Old Testament, New Testament. I will be with thee. I don't care where you are. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how lonely you are, how broken you are, how sad you are, how overwhelmed you are, how much despair you've been, it's overtaken you and you have no hope whatsoever. I want you to know, I will be with thee. Don't believe what you see. Believe what I've told you. Amen. Because I tell you, I'll tell you the truth. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But can I just tell you, God's promise is always true. I will be with thee. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. God, forgive us this opportunity where we can gather around the truth of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible messages we see through the book of Joshua and how you've taken it, Lord, and you've used it in our lives to help us to see you more clearly, God. Thank you so much for the power of the word. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the spirit that's working in this place. Thank you for the, my brothers and sisters that are here with their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't, I don't know where I stand with God. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if I'm even a child of God. I believe in Him. Great. But listen, the devil believes in God. He's not going to heaven. To be saved means we have given our hearts to the Lord because He has called us. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise from the God of the universe who cannot break His promise. So if you're here today, you're online today, wherever you are, if God is calling you today, all He's asking for you to do is to respond. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift. And all it takes to receive the gift is a choice. We decide in our hearts. The same way we decide that we're going to stand for the Lord, we decide to receive the gift of God. So if you're here today and you say, you know, I've never done that. Or maybe you say, I've prayed. But I don't know where I stand today. Let me just say this. If you prayed through a religious experience or someone told you you should pray or you did it because you felt like you were supposed to, this is a matter of the heart. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call. We do it with our heart, not with our mind, not with our, not with our desires, but our heart. We just surrender to the Lord as He calls us. And if you're here today and He's calling you, you'll know it because you feel the weight of that draw. And all He's asking you to do is respond. So their heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're online, this is not a religious ceremony. There's no magic prayer. This is a broken heart coming to a God who loves them. 
So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. This is something you'll do in your heart and mind if you're here in this room. If you want to pray out loud and you're online, by all means. But I'm going to lead you in prayer. And if you'll say this prayer and you mean it, not just words, but you're speaking from your heart, God will respond and He will save you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sins. God, I love you and I'm amazed that you love me, but I do know that you do. I'm asking you right now to forgive me of my sins, to pay the price that I could not pay, for you to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me today. Thank you for loving me like you do. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bad.